Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2. We are unpacking God's truth for our lives and relationships and our verse-by-verse study through the book of Titus. Paul's focus in chapter 2 is on sound teaching. Paul has been sharing with Titus, the elders in Crete, and us about how sound teaching blesses and protects and unifies and spreads through a church family. Paul wrote in Titus 2 and verse 1, but you are to proclaim things that are consistent with sound teaching. Paul told Titus and the elders and the churches in Crete, preach and teach the truth of God's word. This command is for pastors and elders today. We are to preach and teach the truth of God's word. Paul addressed the godly older men in verse 2. Paul addressed the godly older women in verse 3. The godly older men and women are to teach and be an example for the young men and young women in the church family. Paul addressed the young women in verses 4 and 5. So let's look in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. Paul said, uh, the older women are to teach what is good so that they, the younger women, may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. Notice Paul shared two reasons why Godly older women are to teach and be an example to the young women. The first is encouragement. Paul said so that they may encourage the young women. Paul shared seven points of encouragement. The godly older women are to pour into the young women. The second reason is honor, so that God's word will not be slandered. As the godly older and younger women focus in on these points of encouragement, They are able to honor God and the truth of his word. They're able to live as effective witnesses for Christ Jesus. Now, we spent last Sunday going through these seven points of encouragement in more detail. So if you weren't here last Sunday, you can go online and listen so you can be caught up uh, with what Paul had to say to Titus and the elders in Crete in regards to the young women. Next, Paul turned his focus to the young men. And so we pick up in verse 6 this morning, and Paul, focusing in on the young men, said, in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In the same way as the godly older women teach The young women, so likewise, in the same way, the godly older men are to teach the young men. In the same way, encourage. So as the godly older women encourage the young women, the godly older men encourage the young men. Encourage. Encourage means to call or to come beside. To call alongside. It means to come beside, to comfort, to exhort to speak into, to urge. It is a present active imperative. Encourage is a present active imperative. That means it's a 
command to be obeyed today and every day all through the day. It's not a suggestion to consider. The godly older men in the church family are to come alongside. They're to come beside. They're to wrap their arms around the young men in the church family. And they're to encourage them. They're to urge them. They're to speak into them to live and love God's way. The godly older men are to teach the young men what God's word says, but they're also to encourage the young men to do what God's word says. See, the godly older men understand and know full well, and many of the young men know this as well, but the godly older men truly know this, and that is we cannot live God's way in our power, in our ability, in our wisdom. And we certainly can't make anyone else live God's way. We need God's grace and God's strength to help us live God's way, each one of us. And so the godly older men understand this, know this, and so they're able to come alongside the young men and impart it to the young men. And so he says, in the same way, encourage, speaking of the godly older men, focusing on the young men, encourage the young men. Specifically, the young men include those young men in their late teens, 20s, and on up until they reach the older men age group, which we shared a couple of weeks ago, which is 50s, 60s, 70s and older. So we're talking about those teenage, late teen years all the way up to their 50s. Generally, the general application of young men includes the younger teenagers and the boys because those are the young boys and teenagers who are going to move and graduate and grow into the young men category. And so we know that Teaching and modeling God's truth is for all ages. It's for all ages. Now, here certainly the specific application is the godly older men, 50s, 60s, 70s, and older, coming to those 20s, 30s, and 40s young men and encouraging them. But we see everyone again is in view. And the godly older men are to encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That literally means to be of a sound mind, means a saved mind, means to think of oneself sensibly, to control one's thoughts and actions. Self-control means to restrain from making bad decisions by showing good judgment. Self-control is needed for these young men in marriage, in parenting, at work, at church, at play, in all relationships. Self-control spans all relationships, all areas of life. Certainly, the goal here is older men helping to impart and to encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That means they're to teach them what being self-controlled means and they're to encourage them to live out and obey God's word. So the question is why did Paul focus on self-control for the young men? Six characteristics for the older men, four characteristics for the older women, seven 
points of encouragement to the young women, one, to the young men. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. God clearly and obviously knows what is best. We all can attest this morning that self-control is something that we all need to develop. It's something that we all need to live with. It's something that that we all need to seek the Father so that he can help us to live self-controlled. And so this is not only just for the young men, because self-control is something that is obviously positive, taught throughout the word for all of us. But here in particular, in this passage, we're focusing in on the young men. I believe one of the many reasons that we could mind God's word for this question to be answered, one in particular is the young men tend to be impulsive. Young men tend to be headstrong. They tend to be reactionary. Young men tend to be overly confident in themselves, which at times produces in them a confidence in themselves at the expense of relying and seeking and following the Lord, which can lead to bad decisions, can lead to harmful actions. It can lead to even at times foolish decisions. And so we know that this is something that is important for all of us. It's the fruit of the Spirit, as we'll touch base on here in a moment. So it's self-control is something that's important for all of us, but in particular for the young men. So if the godly older men are to encourage the young men to be self-controlled, if they're to teach them what self-control means, and if they're to encourage them to live out what self-control means, if they're to encourage them to to obey the truth of God's word, it stands to reason, obviously, that the godly older men need to be self-controlled. And as we've shared, because this was a characteristic of the old men, the older men, this was a characteristic to be self-controlled. These characteristics aren't automatic with age. They're developed over time spent with the Lord. So it's something that all men need to continue to be focused in on because no one is beyond temptation, no matter the age or stage of life. And so we look here this morning as it relates to encouraging the young men to be self-controlled. Five areas, let me just share five areas real quick that that young men battle when it comes to self-control. You may see yourself in one or two or more of these areas as well. That's fine. It's all from the Word of God. So we know that the Holy Spirit could actually apply this in many different ways. The focus point from Paul to Titus and the elders in Crete and us this morning is focusing in on Uh, this battle as it relates with self-control to the young men. So five areas. The first area uh, that we see a young men battle with self-control is anger. Is anger. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 11, a a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person keeps it in check. Proverbs 25, verse 28, the person who's not controlled his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. We must help the young men to keep their anger in check. Uncontrolled anger ruins relationships. Uncontrolled anger damages us and others. Uncontrolled anger damages the one who's got the uncontrolled anger, and it damages all those around them. This is especially important for those young men 
that Paul's talking to Titus about here, who are husbands and who are fathers. It's vitally important for us as husbands, as fathers, older men, young men in particular, to keep anger in check. Righteous anger is from God, it's okay. Unrighteous anger is not from God, it's not okay. And this anger issue, you know, Paul later on wrote to the church in Colossians and said, fathers, do not embitter your children. Well, there's a connector there. Fathers who have uncontrolled anger will embitter their children. Damages the kids. And so we've got to be careful. Older men, godly older men, teach those godly younger men, encourage them to be self-controlled as it relates to anger. A second area that young men battle when it comes to self-control is lust. John said in 1 John 2 and verses 16 and 17, for everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride in one's possessions comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is fading away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Lust ruins relationships. Lust damages us and others. Lust will damage the person who does not have that self-control active in their lives and those around them. That's why Paul said that we're to control our own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions. We're to control our own body with holiness and honor not with those lustful passions. So we see anger and lust. A third area the young men battle when it comes to self-control is drinking. Drunkenness was a problem in Paul's day, in Titus's day, when the scriptures were written, just as it is today. Solomon said, who has woe? Who has problems? Those who linger over wine. Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to reckless living, which leads to unwise decisions, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness ruins relationships. Drunkenness damages us and others. And we also see at times when there is uncontrolled drinking, it not only ruins relationships, damages us and others, but it also enhances and increases the battle with anger and lust. Uncontrolled drinking fuels these other challenges and increases the battle in these other areas as well. And so the godly older men are to come alongside the godly young men and to make sure that they're helping to encourage them to be self-controlled in these areas. A fourth area is, is money. It's this 
passion for money and materialism. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10, this is what Paul told Timothy. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. Having money is not evil. Having a lot of money is not evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many Griefs, craving it. An uncontrolled desire for money ruins relationships. An uncontrolled desire for money damages us and others. The desire to get rich oftentimes leads to other poor decisions, such as hoarding, selfishness, workaholism, and unwise stewardship. The desire to get rich, an uncontrolled desire for money, will lead us to trust in money rather than God, will lead us to want money rather than God, and will lead us to pursue money rather than God. It leads to all kinds of bad stewardship choices and decisions. And we know and understand because of the pressures of this world that pour down and bear down on young men and young women, this desire to provide for their families and to provide for their kids and to be able to take care of their kids and allow their kids to have all the things that their kids may want. There is an extreme amount of pressure. And so the godly older men are to come alongside those young men and to help them be self-controlled and to help them to have a biblical view of stewardship, to help them to have a biblical view of money because money in and of itself is not bad, but the craving and the desire to get rich, which leads to all kinds of temptations and all kinds of troubles is out of bounds. You see, when it starts, when you're talking about biblical stewardship, you start at the very core of biblical stewardship. And the godly older men are able to understand this because they've seen it, they've walked it, they know it, so they're able to pour into the young men. Biblical stewardship starts first and foremost by giving our first fruits to God. It is impossible for anyone to build a case for biblical stewardship if that case does not begin with our first fruits go to God because God is the one who has given us all we have and he is the one who has made us who we are. And we can't make anything apart from all the strength and health that God gives us, the air that we breathe that is by his grace. And so we don't start with stewardship without starting with giving God the first fruits, not just of our time and not just of our talents, that's important, but also our treasures. And so this is vitally important for the godly older men to be able to notice because they've seen it, godly older men have seen it and walked it possibly, and they know this desire to get rich and craving money is going to lead to destruction. It's not going to produce what they're desiring. And so those godly men understand that as well when it comes to anger. And when they see it, they go, oh, come on, let's, come here, brother. Take that young man aside. Go grab lunch. Go grab a cup of coffee. What's going on? I saw this. I heard this. Always ready to help. That's how, remember that sound teaching spreads through the family. A fifth area is patience. I think we could probably all relate to this in some way. Patience, at times we struggle with self-control when it comes to patience because for the most part we all hate to wait. We want what we want and we want it when we want it, which is now. And we are challenged by this every day in every way. Why? Because waiting is a part of the Christian life. 
Waiting is a major part of the Christian life. We wait for God to answer our prayers. We wait for God's will to be done in us and others. We wait for God to continue to change and grow us into his image and others as well. We wait for uh, our children to mature and to grow and to obey us. We wait for change to come. We wait for our trials to end. We wait for the return of Jesus. If, if you're not waiting for anything else in your life, and if you're saying to yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, man, I got it all right now. It has all fallen into place this week. This is the greatest Father's Day I've ever had in my life. I am not waiting on anything. I would suggest to you, yes, you are. You're still waiting on one thing. That is for the sound of the trumpet. And that is for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to rescue us and to take us home to glory. And what a great day that will be. And so waiting is a part of life. So we know this. At times, young men are struggle. They struggle with with patience. They get, they get impatient because they want that promotion. They want that next step. They want that next job. They want, they want whatever's out there in the godly older men. Able to come by those young men and remind them, hey, listen, impatience ruins relationships. Impatience damages us and others. Impatience is going to damage you as they come alongside those young men. Encouraging the young men to be self-controlled. The call for the godly older men in the church to encourage the young men to be self-controlled is a challenge. Thankfully, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Thankfully, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And so what that means is this, as we humble ourselves before God, as we seek God first, as we live his way in his strength, not our way in our strength, as we want to follow him day by day, as we walk by the spirit, God, by his Holy Spirit in us, produces this fruit of self-control in us, and God gives us the desire and the strength to live a self-controlled life. He gives us the desire and the strength to make good decisions, to restrain from making bad decisions, to be patient, to be pure, to be kind, to be good stewards. It's amazing how God produces not only love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, but also self-control in us as we humble ourselves before him and walk by his spirit day by day. This is good news for us as godly older men. This is good news for us as young men. It's good news for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. This fruit of the spirit of self-control, God is producing it in us and he will empower us to exhibit it day by day as we rely on him. And so we see, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. He continues in verse seven, in everything, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Now Paul shifts to Titus and he says, in everything, in everything, you were taking notes, write this down, in everything means in everything, in all areas of life. In everything is a call to us, as we see right here in verse 7, in everything is a call to us to walk by the Spirit, not the flesh, because we can't fulfill in everything, in our strength and wisdom. We can't. God can and God does as we humbly follow him day by day. He allows us 
and empowers us in everything. He says, make yourself. Make yourself means to show yourself, to exhibit. He says, an example. An example means a model, a pattern, a type worth following. Make yourself an example of good works. Of good works is a reference to the good works that God has commanded us to do in his word. To over 30 one another's in scripture, to bless one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, forgive one another, love one another, support one another, serve one another. All the one another's we see in the scriptures. Paul is turning to Titus and he's saying in everything, day by day, in all areas of your life, Titus, show yourself, make yourself, show yourself to be a model, a pattern, an example, a type worth following of good works, of all those Truths that we see in the word of God. Here's what Paul urged Titus to do. Remember, look, watch the progression. He started in verse one, teach sound doctrine. We're to teach things in accordance with sound doctrine. So he's now telling him, don't just teach the young men. Secondly, don't just encourage the young men, which he told them in verse six, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Now he's saying, don't just teach the young men. Don't just encourage the young men. Now he finishes and said, show, show the young men an example, a godly example. Be who you're encouraging them to be, Titus. Do what you're encouraging them to do, Titus. Live how you're encouraging them to live, Titus. Love how you're encouraging them to love, Titus. Lead how you're encouraging them to lead, Titus. Show them a godly example of what it looks like on street level in action to be self-controlled in word and in deed. Show the young men what it looks like to walk by the Spirit and not the flesh saying, show them. He's told us to teach. He's told us to encourage. And now he's taking it to the next step. And he's saying, show them. Show them. He says, make yourself and everything an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. With integrity, which means uh, purity. It means free from corruption. And dignity means respect for God, God's word, and the call to preach. What Paul is telling Titus and the elders then and today is simply take God's call to preach and teach his word seriously. Be an example worth following, Titus. What he's sharing here, once again, with Titus is this. Our content, the words we say, matters. And our character, the way we live, matters. Our content of the teaching, what we say matters. Our character, the expression of our teaching matters. This is so vitally important for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that there's not a disconnect from our public persona, what we project, what we say, who we are when we're in public, and our private reality of who we are and how we are and what we say when we're at home with our loved ones. There shouldn't be a disconnect. We shouldn't be one way out in public and act like we are absolutely the most spiritual person in the world, but then at home, say things and treat our loved ones in ways that would frighten people if they knew what was going on. Saying our, our content and our character matter. Young men, fathers, especially today on Father's Day, it's a challenge to all of us. 
Sons, all of us, no matter our age or stage, as fathers, maybe even as grandfathers, it's a challenge for all of us to make sure that the content, what we say and, and how we love our kids and our grandkids, how we pour into others, we need to make sure that that content is matched by our character and the way we live. And there's no disconnect there. So that the family is blessed, the marriage is blessed, so the kids are blessed. So God continues his work in and through us. Continues in verse eight. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. He continues here. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Your message, he's saying, Titus, your teaching, your instruction, he said, is to be sound. That means it's to be accurate. It's to be correct. It's to be healthy. Beyond reproach. That means unblameable, beyond condemnation, beyond criticism. It means consistent and truthful. Here's what Paul, once again, is sharing with Titus and the elders in Crete, us today. He's saying this, the message and the messenger is important. The message and the messenger is important. Follow me. The message and the messenger must be sound. The message and the messenger must be consistent. The message and the messenger must be truthful. The message and the messenger must be faithful to God. The message and the messenger must be pleasing to God. That's what he's getting at. Why does Paul tell Titus in verse 6, uh, in verse 7, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching? Why does he say in verse 8, your message is to be sound beyond reproach? Here's the answer. He shares it in the second part of verse 8. The answer is this, so people can hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. That's why. So people can hear and respond to the good news of the gospel, those people starting with the very ones in your own homes and spreading out to those that you interact with at work, at play, out and about, in all relationships, so that people may hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. Here's what Paul was sharing with Titus and what he knew that was true in this day and time, and we know, unfortunately, this is true at times today as well. Here's what he is saying. He was saying to Titus, there are times when people get turned off by God's messenger, which causes them to tune out God's message. People at times get turned off by God's messenger, that disconnect in their lives, public and private, to the point where they then tune out God's message. And so he's saying, no, 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 show them in a godly example. Make sure your teaching is, is sound beyond reproach. He says, so that any opponent, so that any opponent, an opponent is someone who is against God's messenger preaching and teaching God's word. God's messengers preaching God's word. An opponent is someone who tries to stop, who is against God's messengers preaching God's word. Paul himself in his past was one of the most famous opponents in scripture because there was a time before God saved him on the Damascus road where he opposed God's messengers preaching God's word. And then he became a preacher of God's word. And so he knows what he's saying. He's saying so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. He's saying when opponents accuse and attack elders, pastors, godly men, godly women, and Bible teachers, they should be ashamed when they accuse and attack them 
because their accusations have no basis of merit or truth. What he's saying is this. It's hard for opponents to poke holes in a holy life. When God's messenger has integrity, dignity, and character, God's message is able to go forth in a way that others are able to hear. Does that mean God can't use whatever vessel he wants to get his message out? No, that doesn't mean it. God can do what God wants, and he can use who he wants. And he does, praise God. But what he's saying here, what Paul is saying to Titus, the elders in Crete, what he's saying for us as godly older men to help those young men to know is that when there is integrity in the messenger, the message, whatever that message is, maybe it's with your children, teaching them, helping them to grow up. Maybe it's your words with your wife. Whatever he said, the message, when the messenger has integrity, the message is able to get through. So what is our application? How do we take, what do we take away from this this morning? What, how do we move forward today and this week in applying this truth? Two steps of application. The first, embrace one another in Jesus. Embrace one another in Jesus. Here was what Paul's telling us in this first half of chapter two. He's telling us we need each other. The godly older men need the younger men. The younger men need the godly older men. The godly older women need the younger women. The younger women need the godly older women. We need one another in God's family. God's designed it that way. Whether we like it or not, we need each other. We're family in Jesus, and we need each other. That means we need to embrace one another. We need each other because we help one another live and love God's way. We help one another walk by faith, not by fear. We help one another walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. We help one another give to Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go for Jesus. We therefore need to embrace one another. We don't need to take one another for granted. We don't need to take the accountability, the love, the support, the encouragement that we have, the joy that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ for granted. We need to embrace one another. That's what Paul's been saying. There's a lost and dying world outside that needs to know Jesus, and one of the greatest apologetics that we have the opportunity to share with those who don't know Jesus is the love of the family who does know Jesus as we love one another and as we embrace one another. It helps to get the good news of Christ Jesus to those who desperately need to hear and respond to the gospel. And so you want to embrace one another in Jesus. A second step of application is stand with one another for Jesus. He's reminding us here in this passage that we're witnesses for Jesus. We witness through our words and our walk. We have the greatest message ever told. We're messengers, each one of us, of the greatest message ever told. And so we need to stand with one another for Jesus. We embrace one another in Jesus and we stand for one another for Jesus because we need that constant reminder from one another of what the truth of God's word tells us, and that is that spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, our walk with God, our worship of God, our witness for God, and our work for God. Listen, Satan wants to divide us from one another. He wants to pit us against one another. He ultimately wants us to believe that our battle is with one another. It's not. It's not. It's not. Our battle is with Satan, our enemy, and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we understand this. We call that out so that we 
don't give in to that temptation. And we know and understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, when we walk by the Spirit and not the flesh, we will face opposition. We will face accusation. We will face persecution. We will face ridicule. And when that happens, it's okay. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. That's why we're in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. We're in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. I am in Christ Jesus. That means we're victors. We're more than conquerors. We're overcomers in Christ Jesus. It means we are in this world, but we're not of this world. God has saved us out of this world by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And this world is not our home. We eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And there is no one or nothing that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And since God is for us, no one and nothing can be against us. No, as Jesus said, we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, they light it and they put it on the lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus told us, told you and me, let your light shine before people so they may see your good works and give glory, who? To your Father in heaven. We have the joy and privilege to be messengers, disciples, followers, witnesses for Jesus. We get to live God's way in God's strength for God's glory together, together. Say that with me. Together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. As we embrace one another in Jesus, we will want to stand with one another for Jesus. And as we stand with one another for Jesus, we will want to embrace one another in Jesus. Because our awesome, holy, heavenly, good, good Father has seen fit to bring us together as family for such a time as this, so that we, his messengers, can declare his message in his strength for his glory with one another, our family and Jesus. That means we need each other. Let me encourage you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. And I want to encourage you to just respond as the Lord is leading, guiding you. If there's a godly older man here that God has spoken to you and laid one of these young men on your heart. I want to encourage you to go to those young men, even now. Just go to them, put an arm around them. Pray for them, encourage them, bless them. Just shake their hand. Say, can I pray for you for just a moment? Just pray and ask God to give them strength to be self-controlled. It could be something that prayer as simple as that. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. The altar is open as it always is. This is how we get to express the truth that we've shared of the fact that we need each other, that we're family in Christ Jesus. So if you have a care, concern, a need, these prayer partners would love to pray with you, pray for you. We don't want anyone leaving with a burden that you brought into this room with. So we would love to be able to pray with you and pray for you. But you may want to move and go to someone who's been an encouragement to you this is for all of us, young men, young women, older men, 
godly older women, whatever the case may be, you may want to go and move and just say a word of encouragement. Maybe ask for prayer. Fathers, I want to encourage you. Maybe you want to go to another father and just encourage one another, pray with one another, pray for one another. Maybe you want to gather your family and just pray God's blessings over them. What a great way to celebrate Father's Day and by praying over your family, praying with your family. Maybe it's just your wife who's here with you in this room. Just praying over your wife, praying with your wife for God to continue to to bless your marriage and your family in every way. If you've yet to receive God's gift of salvation, then we would love to help you to make the greatest decision in life, and that is to, to respond to God's grace at work in your life right now by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin. He died. He was buried On the third day, he rose again, victorious over sin, Satan, and death for you. He's alive today. And the only way for any of us to ever have an opportunity to have a relationship with God is through the one and only way that God's provided, which is by faith in the Son of God, our Savior Jesus. We'd love to encourage you to make this decision. This is family time. Our invitation is family time. God... We've sung his praises. He's spoken to us through the teaching of his word. Now we get to respond in obedience to him, encouraging and loving and praying with and for one another. So let's do just that. Let's stand and let's worship the Father together.